Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, everybody. We got a great one today without a monologue, you know, for a change. Let me explain. I just taped my conversation with Daniel Goldman. You probably know Daniel from CNN or MSNBC. He was chief counsel to the House managers in the first impeachment. Uh, He uh, worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of of New York. He helped be convicted, the head of the Genovese family. Brilliant, brilliant guy. He's been brilliant on these hearings. I I found a window where I could interview him. That's what you're going to hear. We uh, it's, it, he's terrific. You're going to really, really get a lot out of this podcast, you know, for once, for once. Daniel, thank you uh, for joining me. I, I'm a big fan of yours. Did you work for the Judiciary Committee in the House? Is that where you the Intelligence like, Committee. Counsel? Intelligence yeah. Committee. Okay, with Schiff. Yep. Uh, so I've been watching every bit of the hearings and right now uh, the hearings are still going on so thank you for indulging me this is the time we could do this pretty amazing huh <laughs> it's pretty wild uh I, I it feels like all my worlds are colliding here as we have these high stakes congressional hearings with senior doj officials and i've done both i've been it was in the doj for 10 years and listening to what Donald Trump and Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark tried to do with the Department of Justice uh, is the greatest attack on the Department of Justice that I think I've ever heard. Uh, it is just truly remarkable what, what they're describing. And insanely s- stupid. Uh, I love that they wanted to pursue the uh, Italy thing that uh, satellites in Italy are changing the votes. <laughs> the, the only thing, the only thing dumber than that is that Hugo Chavez was resurrected in order to from Venezuela in order to change the votes. I still think that one takes. No, the no, I will defend that. I, mean, I think they just said that he developed that technology or something. Um, um, right. I, I don't think they said he was resurrected. Let's defend. <laughs> you know, let's not go overboard here. You uh, clearly have been. Uh, you're in the Justice Department. You're. I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I was on the Judiciary Committee. I uh, played a lawyer in a sketch. But, exactly. And, and in also, the Senate. And in the Senate. Well, I played a, a member of the Judiciary Committee. I have been saying this all along, which is that I don't understand why there's any issue about prosecuting him. It seems like every bit of information that we've been hearing, it, it just points to, yeah, he was leading a conspiracy to overturn the Democratic election. I, I, I don't get it. I can explain. I, let me just first say I agree with you. And I think these hearings and presenting this evidence has just cemented that view even more. I, I can play devil's advocate here, as you know, lawyers do. The best defense that Donald Trump could muster would be an advice of counsel defense. 
that Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman are well-respected lawyers who were advising him that what he was pursuing in order to challenge the election were legitimate pursuits. And even though we can sit here and we can say, well, it's obviously bogus, Giuliani is off his rocker and John Eastman is you know, out in some conspiracy world, Donald Trump would say, I'm not a lawyer, they're lawyers, they're telling me it's okay, and who am I to decide that they're wrong and you know the, the Department of Justice lawyers are right or Pat Cipollone's right or Eric Hirschman is right? I mean, these are what they, these guys are telling me this, they're telling me that. I chose to believe these guys. I didn't think I was actually committing a crime. I don't know what you think of that defense. I think it's incredibly lame, but uh, you're you're you went to law school. Go ahead. Well, no, I mean, I I I think ultimately you would you could take it down. Um, Let me hear. Let me hear how you would take that down. You set it up. Let me. me, I'll let you take it down. Well, he was um, because he's putting his head in the sand, and so many different times he was asked, and Giuliani was asked, and Eastman were asked to present evidence of the fraud. And they never could. And every single time he spoke to anyone, whether it was the Department of Justice or Brad Raffensperger or any or even his own attorneys in the White House, they had done an investigation and they had found that there was no fraud. Bill Barr said that very early on. Of course, he's told over and over again. And so, you know, you've got two different paths to this. First of all, it's just not reasonable to choose to believe these conspiracies because, you know, Giuliani and I would charge Giuliani and Eastman too. They were all part of a conspiracy. Yeah. But then the second and independent parts of it is Donald Trump's own words. And that's really where he can't defend because in at least two instances, and I think this, the hearings have demonstrated that there are other, there's other additional context to, in, to support this, but he said in uh, in the call with Brad Raffensperger to find me the votes, the eleven thousand seven hundred eighty votes, exactly, which is one more than he needed. Okay, he wasn't yep. saying, you know, oh, do look into this and figure out whether or not uh, there was any election fraud. He bears very specifically. Yeah, he threatens him, and he, and threatens, he threatens him, him. saying, if you don't do this, you could be in real big trouble. And then the other thing is what we heard today <laughs> in in great detail, which is that he told the senior leadership of the Department of Justice after they serially rebutted all of the allegations with their own investigative findings, which showed that they were all bogus. Then at the end of that conversation, he says, well, just say it's corrupt and the Republican congressman and I will take care of the rest. He just wanted them to say it, even though he knew that the facts did not support it. And when you put those two things together, you very clearly learn, as well as all the other evidence, and this is a mosaic, there's no smoking gun here, but you put it all together and you can pretty clearly see that he understood that what he was trying to do was illegal and that he was ultimately trying to find some means to coerce or push other people to acquiesce to his illegal actions. And that's why you have so many different steps. Is He kept running into problems at every single step of the way, 
And that's why it ultimately culminated on January 6th, you know, when he rallied everyone to Washington and then incited their attack on the Capitol. You know, you say it's a mosaic. There's not one smoking gun, but if you pull back from the mosaic, it's a mosaic of a smoking gun. Right. (laughs) Right. It's like an impressionistic painting. Yes. You can't listen to this without concluding. Of course, he knew that he didn't win by a landslide. Remember in the Raffensperger call, he says, I won by 400,000 votes. Yeah. Now, insanity. That seems to be his best defense. But let me what is the uh, what is the principle when you can prosecute someone who just refuses to hear the truth? What's it called? Yeah. Is there, what's that principle? Conscious avoidance or willful ignorance? <laughs> well, uh, conscious avoidance, then willful. I mean, that's that's there. Yeah. My Otherwise God. known as putting your head in the sand. So you don't hear the, you know, the bad stuff. Um, and that's that's exactly right. And I would. You know, I would support any assertion that he he had to have known any reasonable person would have known that what he was doing was illegal. And to the extent that he claims he was not aware, it's because he intentionally avoided learning. And that's what the willful ignorance says. And, you know, we know this guy, right? We've seen him. We we know who he is. He's just a sick guy and he just wanted to keep power. And that's what this is about, right? Yeah. And look, it goes back to the first impeachment that I did. He didn't actually want to. You were Zelensky. the chief counsel to the uh, managers, to the, uh, the House uh, managers of the impeachment? Yeah, I, le- I was the lead counsel for the investigation lead. and yeah. then the uh, chief counsel for the managers ah. uh, for the Senate uh, trial. And what we found pretty clearly was that Donald Trump didn't care if Ukraine actually did the investigations of Biden and Burisma. They ju- he just wanted them to say that they were doing it so that he could use that as a rallying cry like he did with Hillary Clinton's emails in 2016. And that didn't work out for him, but that's exactly his MO. That's what he wanted the Department of Justice to do. He just wanted them to say it was corrupt and then he could go and use that from his pulpit to you know, convince his own supporters and potentially convince other Republican state legislators who you know, might be able to decertify and recertify and send it to the House and you know, the, the very complicated constitutional process that would ensue. But this is Donald Trump's MO. It's also, by the way, uh, his MO to incite violence. He doesn't say, please go, you know, use violence. But every time he has said anything negative about anyone dating back to the whistleblower and Alexander Vindman, uh, they were suffered tremendous threats and threats of violence. Remember at, at his rally at rallies in 2016 or one rally, he said, I'll pay if you beat somebody, uh, one of these protesters up, I'll pay for your legal fees. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's pretty bad. I mean, that's <laughs> we know who this guy is. He is a, uh, a a wannabe mob boss. Or he's a mob boss, I think. Um, <laughs> he was a mob boss on the Raffensperger call. Can you imagine, by the way, I've, I've said this before, what if Raffensperger had done what Trump had said, what Raffensperger's press conference would have been like? 
They've been like, yeah. um, uh, I'm <clears throat> Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State here uh, in Georgia, and um, <clears throat> there's been a change in the tally in the presidential election and the uh, winner by one, vo- one vote. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Donald Trump. Exactly. I mean, that's what Trump wanted him to do. It's yeah, amazing. You raise, you raise another important point, which is that the institutions held but barely, and Adam Schiff said this, I think, so eloquently on Tuesday, in Tuesday's hearings, the institution the DOJ held, Brad Raffensperger, Georgia held, Arizona, Rusty Bowers, they held, but, but only barely. I mean, we were very, Mike Pence held, you know, but everybody looked into this pretty intensively, and there was serious consideration for doing what Donald Trump was asking. So it's not out of the question that, you know, we would have been in that unbelievable constitutional crisis. And it's certainly not out of the question now, looking forward, that it will happen again, because Donald Trump's still at it. And Republican state legislators have changed, the legislatures have changed the laws to allow for elected officials to have a much more significant role in certifying the results in the states. And they are paving the way to correct the errors of 2020 in 2024. This is what Ludwig was was talking about, which is Trump and his followers uh, present a clear and present danger. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Because they're not, it's not like they're sitting there saying, oh, you know, I didn't realize that this was so illegal and this was so bad. You know, now I understand it. All right, let's get back to normal here. No, he's out there perpetrating, pushing the big lie still. Oh, and 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 a large percentage of Republicans still believe it. Now, we're probably seeing in the polling some movement in terms of uh, people kind of going, hmm. This, uh, I would say independents more than Republicans, but some Republicans who are going like, yeah, boy, <laughs> uh, yeah. He, he needs <laughs> this. Is, this is this is what it was. Right. No, I think that's right. But we don't know if it's enough. We don't know if it's enough. And, uh, you know, I, I have counted him out ever since uh, he said that uh, he likes people who weren't captured. Yeah, well, exactly. He prefers people with bone spurs. Yeah, well, he uh those must have been very painful. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had them. I haven't. Uh, I, I had a 2S deferment. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Dan Goldman. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup (laughs) <laughs> that means that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L 
com slash franken rules and restrictions may apply hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back with Dan Goldman. This has exceeded all my expectations, this presentation. Yes. It, and, and it's cumulative. What's next after this? They They... Is Cipollone going to, should he, I think he should, right, testify? Well, he definitely should. Uh, It's clear that he has not agreed to do it yet. Um, We are, I am sure we are going to have a hearing on what Donald Trump was doing on January 6th and what the gap in the phone calls was, uh, his phone calls records were from. What he was doing on January 6th, let's remember, he waited over three hours to send a tape, a video saying, "Get out!" You know, I love you, but you sh- should leave. During that three hours plus, the Capitol Police were fighting thousand people, and he was watching. Yeah, he was enjoying it. So, the fact that he allowed that to happen is such a dereliction of duty uh, that it's it's just stunning, and people got killed because of it. And, and, you know, what I would like to see, I, I hear that they made other tapes. In other words, he tr- they, they had him videotape something, but it, they went, no, Mr. President, you can't say that or something. Yeah, have I you think heard they that? have the, uh-huh, I've heard the, that they had outtakes. I would love uh, to and, see those. And that they were, they were, they were too inflammatory. Exactly. I'd love to see at, what was it, 417 or something that that thing finally went out. I mean, his... His tweet about Mike Pence was at 224. Mike Pence had already been ushered out of the Senate because of the invading or insurrectionists. And he still tweeted at 224 just to, you know, to galvanize and cite the crowd even further about Mike Pence. It's It's unconscionable what he did. It is absolutely unconscionable that any person, much less the president of the United States, would do what he did. It's amazing that the worst person in the world became the president of the United States. I mean, <laughs> what are the chances of that? The thing about this is that nothing has shocked me, right? I've been watching this. I've been, you know, I, I, some of the stuff is so so bad that I, I've laughed. But nothing has shocked me, and nothing would shock me. If we heard in a hearing a witness just being asked, did the did the president ask you to draw up the gallows? Uh, yes, I, he did. About 10 days before January 6th, he wanted a sketch of the gallows. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. Would that, would that surprise you? <laughs> would it surprise you if, like, uh, when the president heard that, was there any time during the day where he danced a jig? Yes. Uh, there was a misreport that the uh, vice president had uh, been apprehended by the crowd and torn limb to limb and he danced it that's when he danced i don't know what the definition of a a jig is uh congressman but um it was a celebratory dance of some sort i mean would that (laughs) shock you (laughs) no (laughs) it'd be like oh okay 
uh, yeah, that's bad. And then uh, should we prosecute them? No. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. I mean, what we used to say, you know, with Adam Schiff and we were in the intelligence committee and we would learn, you know, about some of his crazy statements or, or whatever it was, you know, which just progressively over the four years got more and more insane and extreme. We would look at each other and say, it is shocking, but not surprising. And nothing would surprise me, but it still does shock me that this stuff goes on. I mean, I think what they just recounted in the hearings is all of the different congressmen who went to Trump to try to get pardons before Isn't he that, left. We want a list of those, don't we? Yeah, I think they, they gave a bunch. Uh, Gomer, Scott Perry, Mo Brooks, I think, asked Gates. Uh, there was a slew of folks. Well, Gates might have asked for, for an overall pardon for other reasons. Yes, exactly. So there's exactly. that. There's that. So, he, you know, you can let him off on, on just on the plotting. The... Right. You can let him <laughs> off on, on just being a potential sex trafficker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's offer. why I asked for a pardon. Uh, of course. It Not because, because I was plotting to over, you know, overturn the election. Give me a break. No, no, no. It was. <laughs> and by the way, Gates is on the Judiciary Committee, which oversees the Department of Justice while under investigation by the Department of Justice. But that's an aside. I, I you know, uh, I have some strong opinions on this. <laughs> so uh, what's going forward? Uh, what, what are we seeing? What's the next one? Now, they delayed the next one. Are you think they're getting people coming forward who weren't coming forward before? Is that what's going on? It's hard to know. I mean, they have indicated that people are coming forward. I think the, a couple of things are likely going on right now. One is they're continuing to be in negotiations with Cipollone um, and perhaps some other witnesses that they would like to have who have not fully agreed to do it. And there could be some scheduling issues with them. Um, there's also going to be the Dobbs opinion next week, uh, which is going to be pretty consuming for, for the for the public. Uh, and so it, it's very likely that's, that's that they, Mississippi. that's exactly, that's the, uh, yeah, that's the abortion. abortion case. Um, and my suspicion is they don't want to have these hearings. Uh, wow. For, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, after shortly after that drops, um, and people are understandably irate. So, and, and they'll want to focus on that. So I assume it's, you know, one or both, you know, combination, um, but it's also, I think what they probably realize is that the public has reacted. Those that have seen it, seen them have reacted very positively and it's having a pretty significant impact because they've done such a nice job of really concisely and powerfully presenting the various aspects of the scheme. And I think they're, they may be considering, you know, this has been going so well, let's keep, you know, putting out different hearings on different specific aspects of it. And that as a former staffer who has prepared for these hearings, it takes an inordinate amount of time. The presentation value of these hearings is incredible and it takes uh, dozens and dozens of hours to put them together. And and very impressively done. And they had a, a producer or news exec from ABC, mm -hmm. and I think that has been very helpful. Each one of these is very efficient and laid out pretty powerfully. 
I agree. I mean, the the real, the, I think the biggest reason why they we've been able to get you know such a good understanding of what happened in the presentation has been so good is there's no minority here. There's no Republican side that you need to alternate five minutes, five minutes. It is one committee that is bipartisan, but they're all working in unison. And so they've all agreed to have the hearings just simply as they want them. There's no one objecting to the schedule or the video or an equal time or anything like that. And there's no one obstructing and distracting and obfuscating and trying to interrupt as, you know, we had in certainly in our hearings. Uh, Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and so the fact that they have two, two and a half hours to do whatever they want with it gives them a lot of leeway and they've taken that opportunity and done just a magnificent job. Yeah. Now I hear people are, you know, com- uh, Republicans are complaining McCarthy didn't put some Republicans on. Let me ask you if you remember <laughs> this, because you were there. I mean, well, you were obviously in the Senate and this was the House. But I, I remember vaguely hearing that there were some rumblings with the Benghazi committee about Democrats boycotting it. And ultimately, they decided that it was better to have a voice in the room than boycott it. That makes sense. I was not, you know, dare I say the house. <laughs> uh, uh, but you would, I, you would never stoop so low. No, no, no. I, I uh, but that was amazing. That Benga- What was it? 11 hours? Yeah. And, you know, the worst part was uh, toward the end, uh, one of the Republicans made her do chin ups while answering. <laughs> I thought that was terrible. And she did it. And she yeah. Did and it. she did it with one hand because she had to read stuff. Uh, well, she was uh, so she's amazing. The other thing that we haven't talked about, I'm curious your your view of this. I think another aspect of these hearings that have been so powerful is that, save for Shea Ross, the you know uh, Moss, Georgia yeah. Shea Moss, sorry, the Georgia. Sure. Oh my gosh! Um, uh, voting, you know, civilian civil servant. Been all Republicans. Um, every single witness has been Republican and either a Trump appointee, a Trump official or another Republican. And so the notion and we're not even hearing it, the notion that this is a partisan witch hunt just dies because there, you know, as with all investigations, and I would say this back at the time about our Ukraine investigation, as with all investigations, it all depends on what the witnesses testify. The questioners are not the witnesses. They were not there. They don't have any information other than what the witnesses tell them. And every single one of these witnesses painting this devastating story against Donald Trump were many were his own employees, his own officials, his own appointees, uh, and all were Republican. But kind of remember that uh, all of them are tes- who are testifying now could have come out and said something. Uh, for, for for example, even if not before January sixth, after January sixth, to the, for the impeachment, because mm-hmm. uh, the impeachment was about making sure he doesn't can't run for office again. That's right, and and you raise a very good point. So I don't really think of these people necessarily as heroes at all. I just think. They kind of had to do this. They had to testify and then, or they, they had to, right. They were subpoenaed or, or asked to, to 
give testimony and then uh, then now I've done it publicly. But I just, I think Pence testified. I think, tell me what Cipollone's uh, uh, case, uh, what, what he's saying, why he doesn't have to testify. You know, we don't really know. Um, uh-huh. uh, the only thing I've read is that he's resisting. I would assume, and this is pure speculation, you know, that he would fall back on both executive privilege and attorney-client privilege. Is is he though his attorney? He, he's no. An- oh, is he? Well, no. You raise a good point. I mean, he's the White House counsel. He's not his personal attorney. But I believe their attorney-client privilege would would apply. But does it apply with everybody else who is his attorney who's testifying? Right. I mean, and what about the guys Cipollone who testified did today? Speak. Yeah. Well, they they wouldn't have attorney-client privilege as Department of Justice attorneys. Oh, okay. But. The White House counsel, I thought the White House counsel is not his attorney. I thought it was. It is the White House's attorney. I think mm-hmm. it's a murky area. Okay. Um, but certainly he would have executive privilege uh, claims. However, he already gave information. He waived everything because he already provided information. I don't think he provided a transcribed testimony, but certainly if he's right. going to provide information, then he would waive you know, those claims. So I really don't know what the rationale is. Yeah. And that privilege doesn't hold for things that are illegal. Of course, but you would have to, you know, this is why the executive privilege. And this is one of the things that I worked on when, before I left and that is included in the protecting our democracy act. You know, Donald Trump of course has used executive privilege as both a sword and a shield. And he will say, uh, I am reserving the right to assert executive privilege. And it is not up to anyone who over whom he's reserving that right to ultimately make the decision as to whether or not executive privilege applies. It would have to be a neutral court to do that. But that, of course, takes too long. Right. And so in the law that we passed, it was to expedite review in the courts of the executive privilege because he used it uh, so freely and wantonly. Let's talk about you. You're bringing up ticking clock here and. You know, where is Garland? Where is the Justice Department? When can, is this going to bleed over past uh, the midterm and maybe, and and then maybe into 24 cycle somehow? Well, I mean, the the problem (laughs) that we end up running into is, you know, the 24 cycle starts in January of 23. Of course. Uh, I yeah, don't know right. when you would say that the cycle begins. Yeah, there is there's no chance though that um, they would charge before this upcoming election. I mean, you can just tell by the fact that they're asking for transcripts from the select committee that they would have to then do their own interviews of all those witnesses. It will take a long time. Uh, I am I am my best estimate is that they will reach a decision in april may of next year and that that will be their target period it's you know still a year and a half before the election and Mm -hmm. it gives it gives them almost a year from now to build their case and everybody gets frustrated and i certainly understand the frustration but even as you know we talk about the mosaic of intent that you have to prove there are so many different witnesses that would contribute to that mosaic And even if you have enough, you still need to know what everybody else says, because you need to know whether 
some, you know, the a defense attorney would interview all those people. Maybe they'll be defense witnesses. Maybe they will say something contradictory. And so you can't just say, all right, we've got enough on intent. Let's just go. You have to really know the full story and know what everyone involved is going to say. And there are hundreds of witnesses. This is a massive, sprawling investigation. And as frustrating as it is for all of us who want to see accountability and the real accountability will come from the Department of Justice, it, we, we just have to be patient because they have to be able to do their job, which because of the massive nature of this scheme is going to take a long time. Okay, but there is a prosecutor, Fulton County prosecutor in Georgia, who has a grand jury and has been looking at the Raffensperger tape, which I just don't understand anything other than that he's guilty, right? <laughs> I just don't understand how you listen to that and just go, okay. And that's a federal crime, isn't it? As well as being well, it's a, a state crime. But isn't it also a federal crime? I mean, it's interfering with a federal election. Isn't that a federal crime? Yeah, I mean, you would charge it as a conspiracy to impair the lawful functioning of the government, um, which is the same charge that Mueller used against the two different groups of Russians who use social media and uh, misinformation to interfere in the election and who also hacked. That, that's, the, that's the charge, because what's, what's, her, uh, what's the charge going to be for her? Although she's There's going a wider. Law. There's yeah. a state law that, that, I mean, there's the state RICO law down there is one option. And then there's also a state law. RICO is like a racket. Uh, racketeering, exactly. Yeah. It's like what, what originally was created to. For the mob. For the mob. And, you know, is very applicable to Donald Trump. Because yeah, all I want you to do is find 11,708 votes. Exactly. And, and he says, find. He says, fine. Now, could you could you sit there and argue about what find means? <laughs> you probably could. And is it beyond a reasonable doubt? You know, I mean, look, no, no, I agree with you. But it's, <laughs> it is, you know, you need you, you know, and Raffensperger's testimony was pretty persuasive. And I, I bet there's more there even that we don't know. Lindsey Graham was involved in that one. Um, there's there's plenty more to investigate with that. How, how can how can a prosecutor not use with that tape committing a crime on audio how, how how can you not get a conviction with that i just don't get it. it it just seems impossible the evidence that's been created during this that it was a conspiracy to overturn an election that he led yeah look he he would point to you know any number of different things he said where he was pursuing allegations and that it was yeah a, but he, he he was told they were bullshit over and over again over and over again of and course. then and then he says, just find me the votes. I, I don't disagree with you. And I think that it is a, a pretty persuasive case. I, I just don't think it belongs with the Fulton County DA. I think that it should be swept into the Department of Justice's investigation. That's kind of what I was it, saying. And yeah. And that it is a part of the broader scheme and it needs to be viewed that way because it's much more persuasive and much more powerful. And you would want, in order to prove that case, you'd want to have to prove you know, his coercion of the Arizona leg, uh, legislators yeah, that, and the Michigan that guy folks, was amazing. Rusty Bowers. Yeah. And then, and then he says he'd still vote for Trump if he was the nominee against Biden, which I can't, that's crazy. I don't yeah. understand that. And I was, you know, that guy was crying. I mean, I saw him tears standing in his eyes, eyes turning red. I mean, uh, but uh, Clark, okay. Uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Clark, the, 
<laughs> uh, that's he's criminal. That's a crime, right? <laughs> Isn't that? Is he in trouble? Oh, he's in big trouble. There was a <laughs> search warrant executed on his house today, which you would need to show a judge that there's probable cause to believe that there's evidence of a crime where they searched. And although that is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you have to make a significant showing that there's evidence that he committed a crime. If I'm Jeffrey Clark, and I think he represented himself the first time, I might get a lawyer and I might go trot into the DOJ and start cooperating because they're coming after me. And, you know, the earlier you get in, the better, because if John Eastman cooperates, or you get others who will, this other lawyer we learned about today who was installed by... Oh, that guy, Klikowski or something? <laughs> yeah. You know, if he starts cooperating, and he very he very well may be cooperating. Who knows? I mean, maybe that's the evidence that they got. I'm, this is pure speculation. I don't know anything. Don't go wild on Twitter on it. But, you know, it, it, that's how these things work. Is, right. You know, you get lower level people who witnessed criminal activity. They then cooperate, partially to save their own hide, because if they witnessed it, they probably have some degree of exposure to whatever the crime was, and they cooperate. And then you get someone else, and now you got work your way up. And if Jeffrey Clark cooperates, well, then you get a whole different set of statements and a set of information about his conversations with Donald Trump, with Scott Perry, with Mark Meadows, and maybe John Eastman. And then you've got, you know, a potential charge against John Eastman. And then he cooperates. You know, these things, that's how mob cases, that's how I used to, you know, I was an organized crime prosecutor. That's how we would make these mob cases. And I ended up, you know, charging and convicting the boss of the Genovese crime family because we worked our way up from, you know, an associate to a sol- to a soldier to a capo you know, on up to the boss. And that's, that's how it's done. And, you know, when you get to have a search warrant executed at your home, you know, you're in the crosshairs. And the best thing for Jeffrey Clark to do would be to go cooperate early, you get as much benefit from your cooperation as anyone could, because you haven't even been charged yet. And you may be able to stay out of jail if you cooperate. And he would be, I think, a really good witness. <laughs> this will be fun to watch, I guess. I, I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, th- these have been, in a way, fun, uh, just because, and in some cases, hilarious. We're going to take a quick break for a word from uh, one of our great sponsors. We'll be back with Dan Goldman in a moment. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's what happens when you give Grammarly to your entire team. 
Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. We're back with Dan Goldman. I love Giuliani uh, leaving messages with state legislators who've told him not to call. Don't call me. And then he leaves I mean, a message. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just surprised that he actually left a message for the person that he intended to call. Unlike when he left a message for Tommy Tuberville on Mike Lee's phone. Remember that? Yeah, he might have been. What time of day was that? Yeah, yeah, that was like 7 p.m., I think. Oh, that's a little, like, start. <laughs> I don't know when he starts drinking. <laughs> hey, that's a, it's a serious disease, and I, um, pray, I'm praying for him. You know, it's uh, and it's I, a program no of, <laughs> it's, um, you know, uh, the whole thing about AA is being honest is honesty. <laughs> so maybe if he gets in, and, uh, that'd be fun. Al, didn't you love that Ru- Rudy Giuliani issued a statement after the first hearing denying the only thing he denied was that he was drunk. He didn't deny any of the substantive things that he said. He didn't deny that he said, just go and and declare that you won the election. He's fully on board with that. He just <laughs> denied that he was drunk. Right. But you know what? He was drunk when he denied it. <laughs> so you so got to cut count? him some does slack. It count? Does it count if you issue a denial of being drunk while you're drunk? Um, I think that's going to be part of what he pleads. <laughs> I was, I was drunk when I said I wasn't drunk. I, I mean, it's, uh, amazing uh, to watch that. And, you know, uh, Mark Elias has been on this podcast a lot and he has some great stories from these uh, 60, what, two cases. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where I mean- Giuliani is so out of his depth. I will say the 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 only thing that upsets me about watching the sort of you know deterioration of Rudy Giuliani is that he was the U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, where I worked for ten years, and he has indirectly sullying the reputation of that venerable office with this just absolutely horrific lawyering. I think directly. So, uh, so I mean, <laughs> what Elias said, there was one point there was a, uh, the, the judge asks, uh, Giuliani, what level of scrutiny are we, uh, you're asking to apply here? And, uh, Giuliani just was blanking and just said, uh, the usual, yeah. the, the usual. <laughs> <laughs> Holy moly. That. Yeah. Yeah. That. That's, uh, that's amazing. So. At least there's a comedy here, which is uh, an interest of mine. 
And thank yes. you uh, for joining us. I know that uh, people should know how inconvenient this was <laughs> for you today. And I really appreciate that. So, No, it's my pleasure. Look, I, I am a, a huge fan of yours. I, I have been for a really long time. Uh, I was really disappointed that uh, you ended up leaving the Senate. I think you were a fabulous senator. And, you know, you're you're one of the people I think a lot about now that I'm in my own congressional campaign. Oh, that's right. Tell me about your district. Where are you running? I'm in? running in the new 10th district in uh, New York, which is lower Manhattan. Oh, okay. And, uh, and Brooklyn. It is, at this point, probably best known for two things. One is having 15 candidates and mm-hmm. the other is that, uh, one of them is Bill de Blasio. Uh, um, but you know, when we, we talk, we watch these January six hearings and we see how close we came to losing our democratic elections. And then we discuss what's going on today and how it is actually getting worse, not better since January six. And, you know, for somebody who was on the front lines uh, fighting for democracy during the impeachment investigation and fighting for a constitution, it, you know, it's something very much ingrained in me. And and I decided when there was an open seat in my home district that I was going to jump in to see if I could, you know, if, if I could represent New Yorkers and also make sure that uh, our democracy is defended in in Washington because you know unlike anything we've ever seen in two hundred you know since the revolution, uh, it's really under attack. Well, uh, you have my endorsement. I'm endorsing you right now, and of course Thank that was you. that was a deal to get you on the podcast. <laughs> it, it, are you having fun? Isn't it great talking to folks and meeting everybody? Isn't that the best? That Isn't that is the best? the best part. That That's is the best. Far and away the best part. Actually getting to meet, you know, I, I had the honor of representing Minnesota for eight and a half years and meeting, you know, you learn so much meeting folks and you learn that people are great. And you know what else you learn that I've really been impressed by and proud of? There are so many, you know, everyday citizens who are really engaged in the the democratic process on a very, very local level. And as I've been going around the district, I'm amazed at how many people are really committed to issues that affect them on a daily basis. They get no publicity for it. They get no payment for it. It takes up time. And yet they're still really, really invested and committed. And it's what makes our democracy great. And so it has given me a lot more, um, you know, it's given me a lot more hope for our democracy that it will ultimately win out over this authoritarian scourge in the Republican Party. It's a it's a, it's a fight, and uh, it's I, I, you know, there's maybe an enthusiasm gap uh, in the you know coming up in the midterm. Uh, I would hope that these hearings are helping uh, helping uh, motivating folks, and I think, of course, the the uh, Dobbs decision will and some other decisions by the court. But yeah, my listeners, you do that stuff, you know, work for yeah. somebody. Well, good luck in that. I hope, uh, I hope you're in Congress. That'd be great. What a great resource you'd be uh, in, in the house. And well, thank you for that. Yeah. And uh, I hope you don't mind. I'll just be advertising your endorsement all over the place tomorrow. Uh, you got it. You got <laughs> I'm it. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.